Sabaiji everyone and thank you for tuning in to Radio Opak Talk. In this episode we'll hear from Planchan Vinyarat or Muk, a weaver, designer and contemporary artist based in Bangkok, Thailand. Muk collaborates with the local community of Thai Muslim artisans to design and weave textiles for handbags, home decor and interiors. Muk is no ordinary designer. She brings a fresh outlook to art and design. She doesn't abide by labels like old and new. She doesn't pander to terms like heritage or contemporary or modern. Rather, she's intrigued by the potential of any technique or skill that she comes across. Her process begins at the loom, a heritage piece of technology. After weaving a piece, be it a rug or a swatch for a handbag or pillow, Muk and her team layer it with embroidery, crochet, and applique, turning a flat piece into a functional, multi-dimensional textile. Bold, eye-catching, and one of a kind, Muk's work is a visionary blend of heritage technique and modern design. She calls herself an innovator, and indeed her work leads to new discoveries and embraces the spirit of being a creative and an artisan. In addition to making fabulous handbags and interiors for luxury hotels and resorts, Muk is also a rising textile artist. Her work is exhibited in galleries across Southeast Asia, and her latest installation is the centerpiece of the newly opened Louis Vuitton shop in Bangkok. She uses art as a form to address issues ranging from sustainability and waste in the fashion industry to more intimate topics such as passing on the importance of honoring culture and the environment to her three young sons. Born and raised in Bangkok, Muk completed her studies in England where she graduated from Central St. Martins in London. In many respects, she represents the fusion of local and global culture that has transformed Bangkok from a quaint river city filled with gilded temples to a roaring modern metropolis that still manages to retain its culture and small town feel. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Muk a few weeks ago at her studio located on a small residential lane in the heart of urban Bangkok. A speedy motorcycle taxi zoomed to, through Bangkok traffic and dropped me off at a classic teak house on stilts, wedged between more contemporary homes and condominiums. It seemed anachronistic, but in Bangkok, anything goes. Mook's studio houses design and office areas upstairs. Downstairs is a breezy open air space surrounded by lush tropical gardens. Here are scattered several large hand looms designed by Mook as well as some creative handmade tools used to shred plastic, metal, and paper into strips. Nothing here goes to waste. A team of all women artisans and one man work here, spinning, weaving, crocheting, embroidering, giggling, and chatting. Whirring floor fans aside, there's not a single piece of mechanized equipment here. Everything Mook makes, be it for her commercial work, her Mook V handbags, or her art, is done here and everything is done by hand. Let's get started and hear Muk tell us about herself. Well, I'm a weaver myself. I went to school in England. I graduated woven textile. Came back to Thailand, worked for a non-profit organization, helping the Hugh tribes, teaching them, learn their life, because after being abroad for over 10 years to come back to Thailand and, you know, working with the people, especially up north, you learn a lot. You you become, uh, you learn what you've forgotten. 
you know, when you go abroad for too long, you get diluted. So I'm, I'm not a traditional weaver. If you ask me about any pattern, any traditional uh, Thai textile, cap, I don't know anything about it. I would say I'm a more kind of innovative textile. I like to make my own raw material, do things that not been taught, you know, not be like inventing things. Mm-hmm. So learning how to weave, anyone can learn and can learn and can weave, right? Mm-hmm. I can teach you to weave and I, you know, you, you can weave, yeah. yeah. But learning to weave and having your, your work tell your story and make it become yours, that's another thing. Right. You know, it's like, I think a lot of my work, if you, go, if you see my work elsewhere, not here in the studio, you can still think that, you can still can, kind of notice my technique, my style, my color or my mm. texture. And that's, that's all about me, basically. I'm not a traditional weaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find inspiration from contemporary art or from uh, traditional designs, or where, where would you uh, say you? I find inspiration everywhere, not just about art. It's mm-hmm. everywhere around you. I can be sitting in the car, looking, looking around, and just see something, and I'll pick it up. I mostly things that attract me mostly colors and shape. Mm-hmm. I take colors and shape, and I create into my my mm-hmm. own art. Yeah. But yeah, mostly contemporary. I go to museums all the time when I travel, mm-hmm. and when I go to museums, I don't appreciate as much as my husband, <laughs> who appreciates impressionist and painting. Mm-hmm. That doesn't teach me much. I think I see beautiful paintings, but it doesn't tell me. Maybe I'm not in depth with art history or whatever, but it doesn't give me. The ooze doesn't give me that, you know, like I don't get excited, I don't get inspired. But when with contemporary museum or art, techniques inspired me. The thickness of the paint, the techniques of the paint, the way they think, the way they imply and use their, you know, like mixed media. Right. That would attract me. And then I will see this work and I think, oh, that's interesting. When I come home, I can mix this and that, and I can weave this and that. Because what you see mostly, mm-hmm. you see uh, a 2D kind of work, not right. a sculpture, right? When I go see contemporary, uh, not always um, sculptures and mm-hmm. things. So, but a lot of my textile work, it's a 2D slash 3D. I like to create kind of texture, layer over layer on it. So, mm-hmm. so I tend to kind of learn from techniques mm-hmm. yeah and you can definitely see that in, yeah I, I create my own um, kind of it's hard to explain it's like learning by doing mm-hmm. I'm I'm never good at sketches I'm a I, I'm a really bad um, I can't draw I'm very bad at drawing so I create things with my hands so a lot of the time it's like it makes it really hard when you do commercial art because I wear two hats I wear a few hats I'm an artist I'm a designer when you're a designer you work for a project such Mm -hmm. as hotel and things you sometimes get um, given a brief you work on a brief Mm -hmm. so you always have to present do a presentation when you do it on a computer or on a sketch or something it's when you present it it looks it looks 
like a sketch, right? Yeah. But when you actually, because it's a flat thing, you yeah. print it out on a computer, whatever you do, right? But when you work on a real piece, you you tend to let go of your hands. You let your hand work you. Right. So a lot and, of the time, and then your hands and your emotions yeah, can lead you to yeah. like a new discovery. Exactly. Or so a, new shape. a lot of the time, it's so hard because then the client say it doesn't look like a sketch. I say it's not a sketch; it's a real piece. So <laughs> it's really hard to be a designer. Right. But if you work on, if you call it a textile art, mm-hmm. it's okay because you don't really need a sketch to present anyone. You just keep working on it. Mm-hmm. As long as you have your story behind it, you stick to your story, you can tell the story. It's like aesthetic with um, story and techniques together. Right. Right? But but it, it cannot always look like a sketch. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty hard being a designer for me. So I, I'm, you know, I do a lot of things. You're tactile and more visual. Yes, I, I am right? very fa- yeah. visual and tactile. I use my hand. So, you know, based on what you said, it's interesting that then you, when you came back, um, in addition to starting your own company, you began working with a community of weavers, yes. of traditional weavers and embroiderers. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about? why you decided to work with this particular community, what their background is, what drew you to to them? Well, when I came back, I was, um, a, well, a girl who, uh, a, a fortunate girl who got sent abroad mm-hmm. very young, very, I would say, narrow-minded. Mm-hmm. My world is very small. I meet the same group of people. I am in the environment that I'm comfortable. I'm in my comfort zone. I never stepped out of my comfort zone. I um, I was a naughty girl. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I skipped the whole class of color theory. You see, that's why I don't have any idea on color. That's why my colors are so strong mm-hmm. because. I don't stick to the rules of the opposite colors or adjacent. I don't even know that color real thing. That's mm-hmm. why I can't do painting. But I think that's good and bad. I don't have a colorless theory, so I don't stick to the rules. So I just use any color that appeals to me or right. what my eye sees, mm-hmm. what inspired me. Mm-hmm. If this colors I see on the tree, it's gold, so why not using all my work? Right. But with other people, they might think, oh, that's an opposite color. I don't know how they talk. I don't yeah. even know. So anyhow, <laughs> so I a first year of, um, of B, uh, doing a degree, BA, mm-hmm. was pretty bad. Uh, so I got given a notice saying, oh, you know, you, we're going to expect you have two weeks to do your work, whatever. So that two weeks taught me a lot. And then I graduated with um, honor. Mm-hmm. Right, so so I did really well for my the rest of the degree. So um, coming back, um, I want to do what I learned, right? But back then was almost thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Textile in Thailand was nothing, you know. The community were weavers makes little money, even though the work the traditional silk weavers or weaving are very intricate mm-hmm. and takes so long, but they can't sell it at no one uses it no one understand it so they, they right. you know and then the big textile company which doesn't know how to design mm-hmm. basically it's OEM or what you call it 
But I learned how to design. So I went and applied for this big textile company. And I worked for a month or two. They asked me to just do a pattern and change a color, mm-hmm. copy the pattern from the textile from Europe or something. And I said, no, you just photocopy it. Why you need me to draft it? Because I'm not good at drawing. Yeah. So I just thought, I can't work here. So I quit. So I just thought, look for something else to do that I can be more, I can feel proud of myself and be more myself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, came across uh, this um, Puyai or whatever that yeah. that approached me saying mm-hmm. they it's Dai Tung, the yes. Mephalung, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to give it a try? I say, okay. And it just turned out to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. I get to go up north to Dai Tung, get to meet all the Hugh tribes, work with them, learn how they weave, how they do embroidery. And teach them what I know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not forcing to do what they do. I go and give them what I learn, know-how mm-hmm. that I learned to make to mix the two together. Mm-hmm. And it was just so fun, so much fun. So I did the first L Fashion Week mm-hmm. that they started. I don't even remember what year. And it was um I would say a pretty talk of the town that oh this is Thai fabric so I want to say when people say Thai fabric they think of silk and traditional ikat or traditional pattern no for me Thai fabric is well a fabric that made by a Thai mm-hmm. it could be more fu- more um, funky more fun more it's still Thai fabric you know right. you don't you don't name or just just mm-hmm. put a name and just kind of or put a time period to yeah, it, you know I think yeah I mean I think also like what we say a lot at Aqua Talk is that you know culture is always evolving and yeah. certainly we all stand on the achievements of artisans and techniques yeah. that come before us mm-hmm. but at each stage in history there's artisans that kind of build on the shoulders of the people who came before them so there's always innovation and yes. culture changes, culture yes, yes. Um, innovates um, and, and that's the only way to progress yeah. because otherwise the technique becomes obsolete. See, not, not that we don't appreciate, I do appreciate it, but you put so much time and effort in it, but people still not paying much. Yeah. So we have to innovate and do something mm-hmm. to make people realize that everything started from that root. But then it's developed yes. to fit everyday life, to fit to to you know to fit a wider market. Right. That's what I'm I'm doing here. Yeah, and I think it's fabulous because yeah. not only is it providing income for mm-hmm. the weavers you work with, and but it's actually they're using their techniques. Yeah. And those techniques yeah. will then uh, be passed on. Yes. And because it's. Because there's a livelihood value attached to it, mm-hmm. it makes it more lucrative for yeah. younger people to want to learn it. Mm-hmm. Because what happens often is that people think, you know, like, oh, younger people are like, well, I want to work in a hotel or in IT or what yeah. have you. Because there's more status, there's more earning power, and they feel like art, craft, which has a tremendous functionality, doesn't have that um, that kind of panache yeah or prestige or prestige yeah. to it yeah so um 
the the weavers you work with are they from around here or are they here in my studio yes they work with me since the first day i would say it's very low turnover so how i started this company mm -hmm. this is my house i don't live here anymore but it used to be our family house right which hopefully i plan to move back but not now now it's a studio right now so i have um i just put a sign up on my gate saying if you want to learn how to weave just come in so the people that came in they have no knowledge they don't know how to weave so one would be selling um fruit you know on those um mm -hmm. one of those what you call it those the, glass boxes yeah with the yeah, cup yeah, fruit. yeah yeah <laughs> cycle whatever and socks work from a socks uh, industry uh, mm -hmm. whatever making socks and I think it was garlic selling garlic and vegetables <laughs> I had five people came in uh -huh. so I I have um, my right hand okay so we help train them mm -hmm. and we started with five and I went on a I make products you know like um, textile products rocks and pillows this is commercial work mm -hmm. I, uh, I did few fairs right and made really huge sales at one point, we went up to 100 people, weavers and wow. officers together when we were doing pretty well the first mm -hmm. few years. And then from 100 to 50, now to 35. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is actually pure passion. I don't make much money or much profit at all. Mm -hmm. But can I give it up? No, because if I give it up, this is going to all be gone. I don't think that many people is going to take on this kind of craftsmanship and do the way I do. So this is why I'm still fighting on. Now it's not a good time at all. I mean, it's like with this COVID, it's making it even worse. I mean, there's few months that I have um, finished goods that I can ship out to the Maldives. Two huge orders. Actually, I just shipped one out. There's another one that's mm -hmm. still piling up here because of my clients can't pay me. Uh, whatever, because COVID situation, and and months that I have no orders at all, but it's turned out that I was able to finish my textile art and have a solo ex exhibition. Mm -hmm. Because if there's no COVID, there's no way that I could do my solo exhibition right. because there's orders. Because right. I, I, as I say, I wear a few hats. Mm -hmm. I do commercial work and I do my artwork, mm -hmm. which. You know, it's me and my weavers together. You can't really do a huge piece alone. So you see the loom downstairs. Mm -hmm. um, we actually built our own loom here. Right. So it's made of steel because our work is pretty heavy. The mm -hmm. huge rocks on my artwork. And with the really um, big looms, we need about four people to weave at the same time. It's all hand-woven, I it's should mention. It's all hand-woven. Everything is all hand. it requires kind of a sturdy base it's why so yeah. you need a few people to go you can't just do one alone the where width. do you get the yarn the yarn is imported mm -hmm. most of it some are in thailand locally the cotton mm -hmm. some are imported from china and mostly i try to use one that in thailand cotton are from thailand mm -hmm. but with the chenille and thing it's imported right yeah um and then the embroidery can you tell me a little bit about the is it a uh, type of embroidery that Muslim oh, yes, communities yes. use? Yes, yes. Okay. These embroidery, but I keep my embroidery in another kind of studio. Mm -hmm. What happened is, because it's different techniques, different skill, right. different labor costs. Mm -hmm. You can't keep them together. I try that and it creates 
issue problem. So what happened was I found this embroiderers in the what you call it, their community, you know, mm-hmm. the the slums or you call yeah. it. Um, I found them and um, so I approached them and they've been working for me for over 15 years. So I offered them a full, you know, uh, what you call it, profit, not profit, uh, full um, uh, monthly pay and the benefit, whatever, just like you work in a, in a company. So they they didn't have a stable income. So mm-hmm. now they are actually my full-time staff since over 10 years. And how many embroiderers do you have on staff? 15. 15. All and together. they, I mean, when you found them or when you... They are cousin and related. They live in the same community. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I, I found one first. And so she's like um, the head of... The community, mm-hmm. so I I built her home and I add another story to her home, mm-hmm. so everyone can come and work there, okay. and I buy them. They have their own machine because they do uh, you know all the costume for Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. So I bought them machines and we work out, we work the techniques, we we kind of we learn by doing. Mm-hmm. So all these embroiderers, they do traditional kind of fine. Um, Embroidered stitches. Is there a name Machine for it? Control. I don't know. It's a mus- like a Muslim shirt, mus- Muslim costume that they do, right? But with all these techniques, we try try and narrow together. They never done the stitch before, but because I don't know how to do embroidery, mm-hmm. so again, I'm not scared. Yeah. Some embroid some stitches and thing. I made them do it. Breaks a needle and thing. But it's worth trying. So you get new stitches. If you look closely to all my, um, you know, all these, it's like, it's all different stitches. Like my back. You see my backs, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't yeah. know that's woven. Let's say, uh, ah, okay. Say so all of these, they are different techniques, you know, different kind of stitches oh, wow. and things, you know. So different yarn to that some different stitches. So we, we so don't know what to call. this is actually embroidery. Yeah. See, this is learning by doing, creating together. They don't know how to do this before. And they don't know what to call it. And I don't know how to embroider. I just say, look, I want this, but make it thicker. So you can you just embroider over it, few, few layers and layers, and they create this. And then I want a darker trim kind of thing. To give it a, a shadow, so mm-hmm. it's like adding another dimension to it. So it's like working together. Right. But I don't know how to embroider. That's why I'm not scared of trying. Right. Again, you know what I mean? Because if you know how to embroider, you will say, oh, you can't do this because it will this and that. I just just give it a try. Yeah. So that's why we create our own kind of different, you know, all of these embroidery mm-hmm. from different kind of layering techniques, you know. Like this one, it's a leaf, so we can open the leaf and then we do what inside, like people can see what behind, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> it's all try and error. It's fabulous. I love this one. Yeah. It's just so cool. And this does look like the classic shirts. Yep. With the neck, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's see. The next thing is, um, it's kind of a long question. Uh, you've elevated the work of these artisans into kind of the fashion space. Mm-hmm. Um, in a country that's obsessed with labels, 
and um, this is so and hot. high fashion. Yeah, my God. How do you build awareness of craft traditions? It's so hot, and it's like. I would say I'm pretty lucky to do it now that all the top names, all the luxurious brands, they're beginning to recognize craft. Mm -hmm. If you see some huge brand like, you know, Dior or Louis Vuitton, I don't know if we can mention the brand, they start having bags and hand embroidered, doing all these crafting or even Fendi, you know. So people see that because Thai people or I don't know, Asian or whatever. They still have their fixed state, fixed mind that brand name is kind of status symbol. Yes. So once all those luxurious brands start recognizing all these craft, mm -hmm. then they see my work and they say, "Oh, we can do it too locally," but they won't pay. Mm -hmm. And you know they would just pay for those. They have the money to pay for those, but they won't pay. For me, it's really hard for me to to penetrate through them. But mm. starting, people starting to appreciate it and will pay because my my work are not cheap. Mm -hmm. It's more expensive than all top for mm -hmm. sure. So I'm in between all top, in the middle, and then luxurious brand. Mm -hmm. So to, to people would even buy all top or top mm -hmm. to buy the middle pricing is hard. Or top, I should mention, is one tambon, one product. Yes. So, it's so the handmade... Beautiful work. Um, work in Thailand. Yeah, beautiful work. But um, maybe quality control is not, not always... Great. Yeah. So, yeah. But for my work, quality control is great. You get the craftsmanship, you get beautiful work. But then people want to pay at all top price, which is yeah. not possible. No, because you're so, like um, paying, yeah. you have fair trade wages, yeah. you're providing everything, marketing, healthcare yes. So employees, it's still right? pretty hard, but we, um, we're not doing too badly, even at COVID yeah. situation. We still sell our bag, but you know what? Now people don't buy if it's not sell. So our bags are on sale right now, mm -hmm. which that's how it is for now. So we just have to basically, it's like people would say, oh, can we have COVID price? And I would say, what is COVID price? You know, <laughs> that's it's like COVID or not COVID, the amount of work, the labor going, we yeah. still have to do that. I'm not going to cut their wages for, I cut well, myself, yeah. I cut the staff, mm -hmm. office staff, but I'm not going to cut the labor because their wages, their wages is already pretty low. You know, so so I'm still have I still have to provide that job, find things for them to do, so that I keep there. I don't have to make a cut to them. Right. Yes, but I have I made a cut to my own salary and my office staff, mm -hmm. because we can learn to live less. Yeah. But with them, it's They're already living less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. After our conversation in Mook's studio, I zoomed across town to Nova Contemporary an art gallery in central Bangkok where Mook has a solo exhibition titled Sea Ghosts and Beyond. In the show, her textiles resemble satellite imagery. Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and all of Southeast Asia are reflected as landscapes in the grips of transition brought on by climate change. At her studio, I had witnessed Mook's willingness to integrate disparate techniques. In her art, I noticed that Mook is equally audacious when it comes to the types of materials she's willing to use. Her art pieces are woven with hand-spun yarns she created using discarded plastic bottles, documents, paper, metal, 
leftover weft yarns, and even pantyhose. As Mook tells us, be it technique or materials, she's willing to give anything a try. So for me, I don't limit myself thinking that paper can be used just for writing or fabric can be used for working on top or whatever. For me, it's like everything you can go beyond than what you've been taught to use or limit yourself for. For me, like paper, you can turn it into hand-spun yarn and use it beyond and let the raw material work for you and tell your story. Create your own raw material. I think that's important. Then just go and buy it off the shelf and then work with it. And that wraps up this week's episode. I'd like to thank Mook for joining us and for giving us a glimpse into her process and for sharing her relentless passion and optimism. If you'd like to see Mook's handbags, visit her website at mookv.com. That's M-O-O-K-V.com. And please feel free to send in questions regarding this or any other Radio Okpap Talk episode to me, rachna at okpaptalk.com. That's R-A-C-H-N-A at okpaptalk.com. Or message us on Facebook or Instagram at okpaptalk. Thanks, and we'll connect again next week. Bye.